tonight we are excited to open God's word. And if you've been with us here on Wednesday nights, you know that we have just begun a new series um, that we have entitled Unshakable Hope, which is such a beautiful idea, is it not? Unshakable hope. I'm sure that all of us here tonight can agree that that's something that we want. Amen? Unshakable hope. Hope that is uh, able to stand amidst the uh, metaphorical uh, currents and tides of despair and depression and difficulty in this life. Hope that lasts. Hope that endures. And so that's what we've been doing here on Wednesday nights. And the heart behind this series is to explore what it looks like to live our lives expectantly for God's coming good and to live our lives built upon the sure foundation of his faithful promises. In Christ, as believers, we have hope. Amen? We are able to live our lives with assurance and confidence, expecting that good is on the way. Why? Because our God is good. Amen? Because he is perfect, he's holy, and he's a God that keeps his promises. Last week, Pastor Rob kicked off this series, and he did a beautiful job expounding on the truth that we have hope because our God is a God who keeps his promises. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So for those of us who are in Christ those of us who have trusted in him, put our faith in him, those promises, all of God's promises recorded throughout scripture are our own. We can claim them, rejoice in them, and live our lives built upon the sure foundation of his faithfulness. And in this series, we are going to explore just a few of God's many glorious promises. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn what it means to live our lives anchored in them. So if you're taking down notes tonight, um, the promise that we're going to explore tonight, it's also the title of my message, is the promise of God's power. Before we dive in tonight, I want to ask you a question. What comes to mind when you think of power? When you think of strength? What comes to mind? Take a moment. Tonight, obviously, we are in church and we're worshiping the name of Jesus. We are worshiping the true and living God. So maybe as you ponder that question in your mind, God comes to mind as being all-powerful, full of strength. Maybe you hear that question and you think of strong men and women in your life that you know personally, heroes, warriors, when I think about power, when I think about strength, what comes to my mind is my wife. Uh, she exudes this precious, beautiful strength. Um, she's, she's given birth to two of our, two children, two of our children. She's given birth to all of our kids and we have two of them. Um, <laughs> and I had the privilege of obviously being present at both of those births. And she gave birth both times naturally which, I mean, come on, that's, talk about strength. And the second time she gave birth to our precious daughter, Ada, she gave birth in our home. 
in our bedroom. So, I mean, powerful, right? Like strong. What a strong woman, the courage and the strength to do that. Um, when I ponder what, what is powerful in my mind or, or, or what reminds me of strength, I, I remember as a young boy having G.I. Joes. Who here ever had a G.I. Joe when they were younger? Yeah. Um, and I remember I'd play with my G.I. Joes and these muscles, like, they're muscles, just like thinking as a young boy, like, gosh, that's what a man is, right? Like, look at those muscles. But then also at the same time thinking, like, is this human, humanly possible <laughs> to have such muscles like these G.I. Joes? Um, I also remember, I have a vivid memory as a boy, uh, gathering around the television with my family, um, uh, around the TV to watch the power team. Does anyone remember what the, the power team on TV? I think we have a graphic. Look at this. So these guys, the power team. Like, I'm talking, I vividly remember this. Like, probably what, four, five, six years old. Gathering around the TV and watching the power team. And for those of you who don't know who the power team is, they were this kind of crazy, a little bit weird, honestly, if you, think, if you really think about it. Um, kind of evangelistic, uh, strong team. And what they would do is they would perform like these crazy feats of strength, like bending steel and like b- breaking blocks with their heads. And as a little boy, I remember watching the TV being like, first off, thinking they looked a little silly, like in their sweatsuits, you know? And then also wondering like, is this power? Like, is this what strength is? Like bending steel and like breaking blocks with your head and then like sharing the gospel like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it is. Regardless of how you answer that question tonight of what comes to mind when you think of strength, I think it's safe to say that we live in a world that has many differing opinions on what power and what strength really is. And tonight what I want us to do is I want us to explore where true biblical strength is found. And the promise that God gives power and he grants us his strength, power that enables us to live lives that are pleasing to him and lives that persevere amidst life's many difficulties. And so if you're in Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 31. And let us just enjoy this precious promise from our heavenly father. Isaiah 40, verse 29, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says this. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us pray together one more time. Lord, here we are. God, our desire is to wait on you, 
Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds and that you would open our understanding and show us, Lord, what this promise means for us today. Show us, Lord, what what true strength looks like. Give us the wisdom to discern from you, Lord, what this means for our lives today. Holy Spirit, would it be your words that we hear tonight, not mine. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, as we dive into this promise, I want us to look at four things that this promise tells us. This precious promise from our Lord and Savior. Four things that this promise tells us. If you're taking down notes, the first thing that this promise tells us is this. And it's, it's obvious, it's, it's what the promise actually is, but I believe it's, it's very profound and I want us to kind of dive in. But the first point is this, God generously gives power. Look at verse 29 again. He gives power to the, what? Weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. God is a generous giver of his power. And what other God, and I mean like little case, under case G, whatever, like what other God that's ever been written of in human history gives his power to the weak? There is no other God that does this. But our God, the true and living God, the one who is all-powerful, the author and the creator and sustainer of all things, is a generous giver of power. It reminds me of what the psalmist writes in Psalm 84 verse 11, where we read that no good thing will he uphold from those who walk uprightly. What the psalmist is saying is that God lavishes good upon those who trust in him. So for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus, we are in Christ and we can count on God's goodness and his lavishing of power upon us. We can count on his goodness to grant us the power and the strength that we need. But tonight, I really believe that that in order for us to understand this promise from God and to best understand it, we need to understand the greater context of what God is saying through Isaiah here in chapter 40. We don't have time to read the entire chapter, but let me just summarize what God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Up until this point in chapter 40, up until verses 29 through 31, God is speaking to his people and he has declared that he alone is powerful that he alone is full of wisdom, that he alone is dignified and sovereign, that he alone holds all authority. And if that wasn't enough, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and declares himself as holy. Check out Isaiah verse 40, uh, or chapter 40, verse 25. God says this, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the holy one. This passage here, no doubt inspired the song that we often sing, What a Beautiful Name. We sing that bridge. It's one of the most powerful bridges I think it's ever been written. But we sing this often. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What God is speaking through Isaiah 
is that he is completely separate from anyone and anything else. He is unattainable. He has complete moral perfection. And look at verse 28 with me of Isaiah 40. This is the verse right before our promise that we're looking at tonight. The Lord is speaking. He says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And it is this God, the true and living God, who gives power. The all-powerful one does not withhold his strength. He doesn't hoard it, keeping it stored up for himself. No, he gives it away. And who does he give it to? Does he give it to the powerful? Does he give it to the dignified? Does he give it to the wise or the morally superior? No, he gives it to the weak. And he does so generously. And that's good news for us tonight because we are weak. Amen? The second thing that we learn from this promise is this. We desperately need God's power and strength. God gives his power generously, and we desperately need God's power and strength. Look at verse 30 again with me. Even the youths, shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed this here tonight up until this point, but there are actually two promises in this passage. There's the promise of God's power and the promise of human frailty and weakness and failure that we just read in verse 30. I find it very interesting that the Lord speaks through Isaiah in this way, right in the middle of this passage. Why would, why would the Lord inspire Isaiah to speak or to mention any failure of any sort? It's because God is contrasting human power and strength with his supernatural and holy power. By speaking of youth which is normally associated with life and vibrancy and strength, we come to learn that failure, frailty, and weakness escapes no one. We are all in desperate need of strength that is beyond the natural, beyond ourselves, because we are all prone to frailty and failure whether we are young, whether we are old, whether we are sick, whether we are well, black, white, male, and female, we are all prone to failure because it's the reality of sin. And so we desperately need God's power. But we live in a world that has a convoluted view, a mistaken view of what true power is. There's the way of the world and then there's the way of Christ and his kingdom. Our world tells us to avoid weakness, right? Pull up the bootstraps. Keep on keeping on. I remember in high school playing football, 
we had a weight room and it was kind of below our practice field and there was a staircase that would lead up to our practice field. I spent hours in this weight room in, in agony, trying to avoid weakness, right? Trying to get stronger so that we would win. And we did. But on the way up to the practice field, there was a quote on this brick wall. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Looked at it hundreds of times. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Who's ever heard that before? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cultish <laughs> if you actually think about it. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it seems that our world preaches a message that weakness is something to be avoided at all costs. And unfortunately, this mentality has a way of infiltrating our spirituality. We end up avoiding weakness out of fear of not looking spiritually or morally superior to others. The kingdom of the world says avoid weakness at all costs. God's kingdom says the opposite. Embrace your weakness and receive his strength. And look, to fully embrace the strength of God does not mean that we have to make room for it by rejecting our weakness or frailty. No, we embrace it. We accept our weakness. And when we do, two things will take place. Two things will take place in our lives when we recognize our great need for God's power. When we recognize our desperate need for his power. The first thing is this. When we recognize our great need for his power, we will learn to embrace our weakness. We will learn to embrace it. We will learn to accept it. I call this the paradox of power. This paradox of power, biblically speaking. It's the idea that we are actually the most strong when we are the most weak. It's the paradox of power. And he gives power to the weak. And what do the weak give him in return? More weakness. He gets nothing out of the equation. He is just a generous giver. One theologian beautifully describes this paradox of power as so, and the quote's going to be on the screen. This theologian puts it this way. Those who look to the infinite, omniscient, omnipotent creator for their supply of order intelligence, and power shall exchange their weakness and foolishness for his strength and wisdom. This is a marvelous energy conversion process. I love that. When we recognize our great need for his power, we will learn to embrace our weakness. Jesus spoke of this in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's the first thing that he says Matthew chapter five, verse one, check it out. Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who recognize how weak they are and how desperate they are for God's intervention in their lives. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those people. Even the apostle Paul spoke of this in his letter to the Corinthian church. You know this passage. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. We, we're learning in this passage here that there's been a, there's literally, Paul is at a hellish point in his life. 
like literally a hellish point. There's actually a messenger of Satan that's been sent to buffet him. There's a thorn in his flesh. He's in agony. He's begging the Lord three times, would you remove this from me? What does the Lord say? This is his response. God speaking to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. But he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And what conclusion does Paul come to? He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's what? Power may rest upon me. Paul experienced a breakthrough in his life when he realized that embracing his weakness, even boasting in it, meant that he could best experience the power of God. What a revolutionary idea. God's kingdom is given to the weak and the poor in spirit. What other kingdom on earth has ever embraced this mentality? To give the keys of the kingdom to the weak, to those who are least deserving of it? There is no other kingdom because God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. So when we recognize our frailty and weakness, it's in that moment that we have chosen to embrace the power of God. The power that has been available to us in the person and work of Jesus. So when we recognize our our great need for God's power, the first thing that takes place is we embrace our weakness. The second thing that takes place is we embrace our limitations. Friends, we are limited He is unlimited. Amen? We need to learn to recognize our limitations. But that's difficult for us, isn't it? Because it touches our pride. Everyone in this room, myself included, we would love to believe that we can do it all. And that's the message of the world that we live in. Just do it. You can do anything you put your mind to. The strength is within you. No, it's not. We can't do it all. Listen to this. Our complete reliance upon him is our greatest form of reverence for him. Our complete reliance upon him is our greatest form of reverence for him. It is a form of worship to admit that we need God's intervening power and strength. That brings him glory. So maybe you're here tonight, you're thinking, okay, but how does this work? God is all powerful clearly and he is supreme. He is holy and he gives power generously to the weak. We are obviously weak and desperately in need of his power. We are limited. He is unlimited. But how does this all come together? Where do we go from here? How does God's power invade my weakness? Third thing that we learn from this promise is this. God's power isn't something to work for. It's something to wait for. Look at verse 31 with me again. Those who what? Wait. Underline that word. 
wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. Pause right there. Please understand something tonight. Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is not speaking of an apathetic, passive waiting around. Isaiah is not talking about laziness. This word that he uses here in verse 31, wait, is better understood as an active, expecting, and hoping in God. Wait, in verse 31, is the Hebrew word chava. And it means to wait for, to hope for, to look eagerly for, to lie and wait for, linger for, to expect. The basic idea is to wait for or look for with eager expectation. This means placing our ultimate trust in him, his plan, his purposes, his timing, and not our own. We can wear ourselves out when we try to work things out on our own, can't we? When we take matters into our own hands, trying to work things out on our own, we end up just wearing ourselves out. And I'm sure that we've all been there before. But what Isaiah is telling us here is that waiting on the Lord is where we best experience his power. And isn't that so counterintuitive? Waiting, hoping, that's when power comes? It can be so easy to think, well, I'm weak, so I need to do something. I'm failing, so I need to put forth more effort. In life, when we want to get stronger, what do we do? We go to the gym. We work out. We lose the weight. We put forth effort in order to see the results. We problem solve and make effort to see transformation. But with God, we wait. We wait on him. And as we wait, our strength is renewed. It's an active expectation of good that is on the way. I love how John Calvin comments on this passage of scripture. He says this, and the quote will be on the screen. We must not become agitated or throw ourselves forward rashly, but wait patiently. In this passage, therefore, waiting means nothing else than patience. Violent men dash themselves to pieces by their own eagerness, but the vigor of godly men, though it has less display and often appears to lie buried while they calmly wait for God's assistance, is refreshed and renewed. You know, Jesus Christ is our perfect example of what it looks like to wait, isn't he? He lived his life unhurried, completely unhurried. He was patient and persevered, waiting on and expecting the Father's perfect will and perfect timing. And in doing so, he is our perfect example of what it looks like to wait on the Lord. So tonight, we can stand confident. We can rest assured knowing that 
when we wait and when we live expectantly for the move of God, his power will rest upon us and be present in our lives. But please understand, friends, I want to clarify something. Verse 31 of Isaiah chapter 40 is not a conditional promise. It is not an if-then statement. I love how Rob put it last week. He put it so beautifully. The Old Testament formula of promises went like this. If you do this, then you get this. If you obey, then you get blessing. But the reality for us on this side of the covenant, the covenant of Christ's perfect atoning blood that has freed us from our sin, has perfectly satisfied the wrath of God. Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament law and prophets. Christ fulfilled all of the ifs so that we can experience the thens. Amen? Amen. So this is not a conditional statement. This is not an if-then statement. Rather, it is a when statement. There's a difference. The Lord makes it very clear to us that he is all-powerful and we are not. His strength far surpasses that of human strength and that he gives power to the weak. But the Lord also makes it very clear, however, that we are weak when we are not waiting. We are weak when we aren't waiting, when we aren't trusting in Jesus, when we aren't looking to him and expecting him to move. So when we wait, hope, expect, trust in him, God's power is given and our strength is renewed. God's power is available to us. All we have to do is trust in him and expect him to move in mighty ways in our hearts and lives. The fourth and final point tonight, the fourth and final takeaway that I want us to talk about is this. God's power is all sufficient for our progress. Let's read verse 31 again together. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I believe that this has to be one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in all of scripture. And it's in this portion of verse 31, the Lord begins to paint this vivid picture of progress and momentum. And this, this is the glorious result of waiting for God's perfect timing and experiencing his power. What is the result of waiting? We soar. We soar. I love the language that the Lord inspired Isaiah to speak here in verse 31, the language of soaring and running and walking God is showing us that when we wait on him, we will be spiritually uplifted. It is clearly a metaphor to describe life on a higher plane, a soaring spiritual life, which is always available to every believer. God's power is available to us at the highest of heights, the longest of journeys, And the settled, slow, steady walking in every season, every moment, 
God's power is available to us. I love how David Guzik expounds on this verse. And if I'm being honest, he puts it so beautifully, I don't think it can be said any better than how he puts it. So I'm just going to rip them off tonight, which I think is always a good thing when you're giving a Bible study is to learn from the best. But this is how David Guzik expounds on this verse. He says, says this, just, he calls us to notice the order in verse 31, because it seems strange First, Isaiah describes that we mount up with wings like eagles. And then we run. And finally, we walk. Does it seem out of order to you? Not at all. The beautiful thing is that first, we recognize that we soar. We mount up with wings like eagles. We soar up into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 6. It'll be on the screen. Paul writes this, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what? Raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have mounted. We have soared. We have risen. Second, we set ourselves on the course to run the race, as the writer of Hebrews describes in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And what does he say? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. They shall run and not grow weary. And then finally, we are in the good place to walk the walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Paul in Colossians 2, 6 describes, and it's on the screen, Paul says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. In every moment, in every season of our lives, spiritually, God's power is available to us. But friends, Soaring, running, walking, this supernatural life on a higher plane is not available apart from the promise of God's power. And it's God's generous disposal of his power to those of us who are weak and most in need of it that helps us embrace our weakness and limitations. It helps us live expectantly for his coming good. Helps us live and persevere amidst life's many challenges. It's his power. It's the promise of his power. Look, maybe you're here tonight and you would say, well, Pete, like, I, I'm weak. Like, really weak. And I am not in a place where I feel like I'm experiencing the power of God. I'm in a low point. I'm not soaring. I'm not running. I'm not walking. I'm, I'm not even moving. The hope that we have tonight is that your, 
in the perfect place, positioned perfectly to experience God's power resting upon you. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to strive for. It's available. All we have to do is receive it. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it means to follow him. These promises that are in this precious book are not available to you because you have no relationship with Jesus. You know, there's this phrase that's used in our world and in our culture. And it's this phrase that there is always hope. And not to sound morbid, but I really believe that there actually isn't any hope apart from Christ. There is no hope apart from Jesus. You know, the graphic that our media pastor, Sean, designed for this series, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, or maybe he can put it on the screen, I don't know. But it's of this lighthouse that is resting upon this solid rock foundation. Look at this. We are called as believers to be the light of the world. Amen. We will never stand a chance against the tumultuous storms of life, despair, anxiety, depression, and hopelessness apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, our solid rock, a sure foundation. And when our lives are built upon him, there is hope. But apart from him, there isn't. And so if you're here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, praise God because there is hope. And if you are weak tonight, vulnerable tonight, there's hope. And we want to give opportunity for you to receive prayer. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I'm sorry to say, but there is no hope for you apart from him, apart from a personal relationship with him, apart from the covenant relationship with him, that enables you to experience all of these precious promises that he's given us. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to bow our heads in a word of prayer. And if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, but you would like to know him, I want to give you an opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. And his presence is here in our midst. He's here tonight. And so for us who are believers in this place, let us be praying for anyone around us who who does not know Jesus. Lord, we come before you tonight and and God, we're thankful that we can stand confident in your promises and that your promises are available to us in Christ. We can can stand confident in your your promise to, to grant us power and strength. We thank you that it's not something we have to strive for or work for, 
Lord, it's something that we can wait for. An expectation of coming good that you will bless and you will restore and you will pour out your power upon us. God, I pray for anyone here in this place that does not know you. God, I pray that you would be touching their heart right now, speaking to them, reminding them that you love them and that you stand at the door and you knock. Stand at the door of of their heart and their their life, their soul, and you knock because you want to take up residence. Because you desire to be their Lord and Savior. Because you took the cross for them. Died a death that we deserve because of our sin, but resurrected to life so that we could have relationship with you.